Life Audio. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? Or have you been in a season where it feels like He's completely silent? Have you been praying for a way to learn how to hear His voice more clearly? Hey friends, I'm Rachel, host of the Hearing Jesus Podcast. If you are ready to grow in your faith and to confidently step into your identity in Christ, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. Today, we are continuing our devotional Bible study through Matthew chapter 20. We're picking up where we left off yesterday, and I'm reading starting at verse 17. Now, just as a reminder, if you would like to dive a little bit deeper, we have lots of resources available for you. On our Patreon page, we have ad-free episodes. We have journaling prompts that help you get this information from your head to your heart. We have daily transcripts, and we also have family discussion guides that go along with our kids show, which explains the same content, just in an easier way to understand for the kids. Again, all of these resources are for you to help you hear God's voice more clearly. So picking up where we left off, verse 17, it says, As Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside by themselves, and on the road he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and flog and crucify, and on the third day he will be raised up. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, what do you desire? She said to him, say that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine shall sit, one at your right and one at your left. But Jesus replied, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, my cup you shall drink, but to sit at my right and my left is not mine to give, but is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And after hearing this, the other ten disciples became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles domineer over them, and those in high position exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wants to become prominent among you shall be your servant, and whoever desires to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many." As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him, and two people who were blind, sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. But the crowd sternly warned them to be quiet, yet they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. So what we see here is kind of an extension of what we saw yesterday, where we're talking about this last verse mentality. And, you know, with Jesus himself, he is always presenting this idea of him as the last, this last verse. And in the context of what he's talking about here in verses 17, he's talking about voluntarily submitting himself to ridicule and execution like a common criminal at the hands of the Romans. And he eventually is going to be vindicated by God in the resurrection. But the Jewish people generally expected the Messiah to be a victorious leader, not a martyr. And so he is flipping this concept upside down here again. And we see this scene happen 
with the mother of Zebedee's sons. And there's a couple of things I want to point out that I think are really important to, to remember. The sons of Zebedee, remember they're James and John. They were one of two sets of brothers that were called to follow Jesus, that are disciples. Their mother was a faithful follower of Jesus, and she's also the aunt of Jesus. Now, this is not John the Baptist, not the same John. This is a different cousin of Jesus when we're talking about James and John. Their mother was among the women who attended Jesus at the cross and then later witnessed the empty tomb. And she's later identified as Salome. We see that in chapter 27 and then Mark chapter 15 and Mark chapter 16. So Salome is the sister of Mary, Jesus's mother. So Jesus is the cousin of James and John on his mother's side. So this is an auntie coming and apparently trying to exercise her family relationship type of advantage. And she is a mother who's seeking advancement for her sons. And that was actually a pretty well-known phenomenon in the ancient world. We see that with Bathsheba trying to seek the throne for her son Solomon in the Old Testament. And we read about that in First Kings, Second Samuel. In that time frame, the women had a little bit more edge when it came to speaking up on behalf of their sons. And that wouldn't always work, but sometimes it would. And so both from the perspective of her being a mother and also from the perspective of her being the aunt of Jesus, this is what we see going on here in this passage. And so when she's talking about sitting on either side of Jesus, they're basically referring to this place of honor because a king would have his highest ranking officials on either side of him. And so she was essentially asking Jesus to have his cousins be his right hand men to lead the kingdom with him. And so he responds, he says, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Well, that word cup, it's it's known throughout the scriptures to refer figuratively to your divinely appointed destiny. So that could be one of blessing or salvation or wrath or disaster. What is your lot in life, so to speak? And so Jesus is referring to this forthcoming cup of suffering that he's going to be enduring on the cross. And so he's just given this third prediction that it's going to happen at the beginning of the passage. We see that. And so he's saying this cup of suffering is what we're headed into. Do you even know what you're asking for? Can you handle that? And he says, you will indeed drink from my cup because he, you know, you have to remember Jesus, God operates outside of time and space. And so Jesus has seen down this timeline and he already knows what's going to happen to not just these brothers, but all the disciples. He knows that they are going to suffer for the kingdom. You know, we learn in Acts chapter 12 that James becomes a martyr. And then we know that John experiences persecution in exile in Revelation. And so even though that's not martyrdom, there is some suffering that comes along with exile and persecution. And so the response of the other disciples we see then in verse 24, they were indignant, meaning the other disciples were angry, not so much because of this request being immodest, but because Salome, James, and John have attempted to use this family relationship to Jesus as an unfair advantage to get what they themselves want. And so the disciples had already been arguing about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom, even though Jesus had already told them that they were all going to sit on thrones in the kingdom and rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. We learned that back in chapter 19.
So as we move on to verses 26 and 27, we see again this idea of this role reversal, this inversion of what's typical, where we're talking about the master and the slave. And that was a radical concept. Anywhere in antiquity, this idea of the slave and the master was very well understood. And even if there were some masters who believed that their slaves were theoretically equal to them, they did not go so far as Jesus goes. He's turning the kingdom upside down. And so it goes on to talk about how they want these higher positions within the kingdom. And so what does Jesus do? He gives them the way that they can achieve that. But it's not according to what they think. It's according to the values of the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of the world, not according to the Roman establishment. And what he's saying is they have to arrange their lives with the ambition to give themselves up for others. That is how you were elevated within the kingdom. John himself calls himself a slave to Jesus, as will Peter and James and Jude and several of their disciples. And so we know that they eventually get it. I don't know that they quite get it now, because again, this is so radical for that time frame, but they do eventually get it. And then what's he say? He says, the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That sums it up. That sums up this whole passage where Jesus is giving for the first time this indication that there is this self-understanding of the purpose of the crucifixion. And he's predicting he's going to soon suffer this. And so Jesus is going to give his life as a ransom for them and for me and you. So what he's talking about is this doctrine that we read about, that we understand the heart of the gospel message of substitutionary atonement. And what that means is Jesus is going to take on our punishment that you and I deserve, and he's going to atone for that. He's going to take that on as a substitution for us on the cross. And so he's literally giving his life as a ransom for many. I don't want to miss that. And you know, this idea of sacrifice most of us understand this concept. We'll often say, you know, no pain, no gain. You hear that all the time. But instead, what we see in this passage and in the life of Jesus is that he's reversing this idea. And he's saying with sacrifice, it's my pain, others gain. His death on the cross was not for his own personal gain, but it was for anyone that would believe in him then and now and even to come. And so this idea of kingdom righteousness, we serve others to benefit the kingdom of God, to benefit them, not ourselves. The last first mentality. So given that insight, I'm going to go back and read starting at verse 17. It says, as Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside by themselves. And on the road, he said to them, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death. And they will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and flog and crucify. And on the third day, he will be raised up. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, what do you desire? She said to him, say that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine shall sit, one at your right and one at your left. But Jesus replied, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, my cup you shall drink, but to sit at my right and my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. After hearing this, the other 10 disciples became indignant with the two brothers, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles domineer over them and those in high position exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wants to become prominent among you shall be your servant and whoever desires to be first among you shall be your slave just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him, and two people who were blind, sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. But the crowd sternly warned them to be quiet. Yet they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called to them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the way that you continue to develop the character and the heart of these disciples, and by extension, us, Lord God. Help us to recognize this last verse mentality, that to be prominent in the kingdom, we lay our lives down to serve you and to serve others. God, help us and convict us in the ways that we're not already doing that in our lives. Lord God, help us to understand that you turn the thing, the kingdom upside down and that your plan is so much different than the kingdoms of this world. So Lord, I pray that as we try to do our lives and and to follow you obediently, God, help us to see, reveal for us those areas of our lives where we have been trying to seek ourselves or our own kingdom or our own platform or own extension of wealth or whatever it may be, instead of offering those things to you. God, we thank you for the way that your word reveals your heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, friends. As we lean into a new month and we continue to learn and grow together, there's a couple resources I want to make sure you know about so you can take advantage of. The first is our Patreon page, and the link for that is in the show notes. And on the Patreon page, we have a couple things. We have a dedicated space that is for discussion, for asking questions. You get easy access to me where we talk about things. We hold each other accountable. There are resources that go with the show, like a journaling prompt worksheet download for every single adult show. We also have family discussion guides. And what's really been neat about those is that on the kids show, Every day, I talk about the same content that's on the adult show, just taught in a way that kids can understand. Then the family discussion guides create an environment for you to process that information with your children. You can use that at the dinner table or even as part of your devotional routine. There's some suggested prayer and activities and things to help you connect that content to the appropriate age for your children. So all of that is on the Patreon. Also, there's some prophetic words, extra videos, transcripts, all those kinds of things. The second is on our website. If you go to shehears.org, there's a shop resources page that has my Bible studies that I've written, links to different journaling Bibles, note-taking Bibles, all sorts of resources to help you grow. And then also on our website, we have the coaching section. If you are finding that you need some spiritual direction or life coaching, that is available for you as well. And that's really good to help you process what you're learning. If you're feeling stuck, if you need to work through something, if something just isn't sitting right, or if you want to teach this content and you need to help develop a plan, I'm available to help you do that as well. Again, all of these are resources to help you grow in your spiritual life and hear God's voice more clearly. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you in your walk with God, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, bonus content, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. 
know that you are so loved. Keep going. Keep going.